you don't know today's speaker yet, you likely will. A gregarious, outgoing equity changemaker and organizer with a medical background, they have helped to grow the social justice front in Everett and Snohomish County over the last two years as the founder of Dark Side of Everett and co-founder of Pink Umbrella Society, while still contributing their expertise to Gothic Pride Seattle as a consent coordinator and maintaining connections to Gothic alternative social network Dark Side of Tacoma. They've continuously connected and partnered with local activists and organizers in Snohomish County over the last two years, including Snohomish County Equity Alliance, Artists and Activism, the Effort Defense Clinic at Planned Parenthood, and several other local anti-racism and mutual aid organizers. Their participation in Seattle's protests following the police murders of George Floyd and Breonna Taylor deepened their feelings about eradicating systemic racial disparities. Recognizing the urgent need for anti-oppression organizing and mutual aid in suburban and rural areas, they soon joined with activist Sarah Lynn Larkin and Gus Underfoot to form the Pink Umbrella Society, which has hosted over 20 Black Lives Matter protests and marches over the last year, and developed the ever-growing snowcocan.com website in order to promote and support the social justice and mutual aid efforts of Snohomish County residents. Their passion and openness have helped them promote solidarity between people of different marginalized groups and energize anti-oppression movements everywhere they've been in, Puget Sound from Tacoma to Everett. The community looks forward to what they will do next. Please welcome friend, ally, and leader, Olashola Bolanduro to the mic. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Equity Rising, where we are showcasing and spotlighting the, the work of local equity changemakers throughout Washington State. And I'm so elated. Every single time I get to sit down and speak to an equity changemaker, it makes me very happy. Today, we have Shola B doing some amazing equity work up north. And Shola, so glad that you could join us today. Yeah, likewise, Trey. It's so good to be here. In this episode, I'm excited because I'll be able to dive in with you about what's going on up north. You'll be able to give us the real lowdown, man, because uh, we actually haven't spoken to many people um, from up north and where where you're doing work. So I'm so excited that you're with us. I'm, I'm just going to dive in because we love to start with our first things first. Uh, we got to ask our equity change makers, man, how are you taking care of yourself? Oh, that's been a challenge. I would say one of the things I've been trying to do to take care of myself is still work out regularly, ride my bicycle, do calisthenics, that sort of thing. Sometimes just putting the phone down, closing the laptop and reading a book, uh, playing a video game, just even just going on a walk. And also one of the things that I've even just recently been trying to do more is just hang out with friends uh, more casual setting. I've been so used to, especially last year, going up in more tense situations, whether it's protests, rallies, and such, even confronting opposition, which can get very stressful, that sometimes I forget to just go on, just hang out with a friend and go to the bar, go to a coffee shop, go to, to the park. Yeah, having just those lax good times with folks I care about. So that last one is something that even now I'm trying to do more of. Yeah, it can be so easy for me to forget that I'm only one person and while I can make a difference, I need to take care of myself too, especially as a person who is facing a lot of the issues I'm fighting for. That's what makes your positioning so unique too, Shola, is um, being a person who are is a part of the recipient, right, 
of the work that you're actually doing. And I love that you said it like that and framed it that way. Uh, Oftentimes, none of us are a monolith. Nobody, nobody, no culture, no group really is really a monolith. But when you understand that there are specific things that happen to specific groups and you're a part of those groups and you're doing work to eradicate those things that are happening to groups, yes, you're a part of it. But I love what you said about, you know, connecting with people, with friends, just going out, a walk on the park, um, doing something that is, you know, central to yourself, you know, getting your workout in. Uh, those things are important. So I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're doing some amazing things to keep yourself healthy and well. It's very important. And the reason why we love to start with that question is because we get a wide variety of answers, right? And honestly, when you're involved in this type of work at all, you have to be intentional about how you're taking care of yourself. So thank you for sharing that. I want to dive in because, you know, I want to make sure the audience understands who Shola B is, the work that you're doing, and why you had to step into it. Let's start right now with who you are, uh, you know, where you you grew up your your background so yeah my name is shola well my full name is olushola opayemi balanduro and people always ask but my parents are both nigerian immigrants they're from the kogi state of nigeria in west africa and my dad first came himself and went to school here and he also came went back to nigeria to try and do business but in the process, met my mom. They got married, and then they returned here together to try and have a life together in the U.S. They had me and one of my sisters in Houston, Texas, and they eventually moved to Washington and had my other sister in Tacoma, where I grew up. I learned pretty early, as early as like early on elementary, that I get treated differently because, well, my skin color, even my name. And I realized, yeah, it's not fair. And I couldn't help but notice when I, my family, me, my parents, and my sisters go back to Nigeria, especially like the last time was in 2004. One of the first things was there are people that look like me. There are folks out there. I'm, I'm not the minority anymore when I'm back home. Growing up in kindergarten, elementary, middle school, high school, I was usually the minority. And even among other black folks, I was usually among the darkest there. <laughs> so I always stuck out from that. Then there came the whole thing with me having a name that was considered foreign. And I realized, okay, so why am I treated differently? Why should I be treated differently like this? And my folks told me about the realities of being chased by racists. It, like it, something out of that first episode of Lovecraft Country, if anyone's ever if anyone's watched that, yeah. <laughs> like being chased and fearing for their lives. That happened to both of my folks before when I was very young mm. and they had me with them. And my dad, when he was in school, he was called all sorts of things. The N word. He was spat on. He was threatened and so on. And well, I thought growing up, especially around high school and college, I thought we were just going in the right direction. <laughs> At least with, especially when Obama became president, it was so surreal to me, like a black man becoming president. Maybe we'll, we're going to have a better future ahead of us. Then Trump got elected. That kind of just changed everything for me. My outlook where I'm like, 
we really aren't as far as I thought. We really aren't. And as time went on, I realized some people I thought were friends of mine weren't as supportive about the issues that mattered to me as I thought. Especially even before Obama left office, there was the matter of the Black Lives Matter movement, which was kind of becoming a thing. From the start, I saw it as sort of a revival of the civil rights movement of the 60s, which I did read about, of course. But a lot of people were saying all these falsehoods and didn't seem to understand. And I was trying to tell them, hey, there's a reason why people are out there on the streets. I had the talk with my parents, but they didn't get it, or at least I thought they didn't get it. And some of them didn't, but it became clear to me that they weren't as caring about the issues that fired to me as a black person in this country, as I thought. Then the xenophobia, the racism, both things I dealt with being a son of two uh, Nigerian immigrants. And I realized, yeah, we're not as far as I thought. And with the uprising last year, I saw, now that I'm in Everett, I realized there was a thing going on with the uprising last year, and I wanted to be a part of it. I wanted to join and see if I can make a difference, be involved in protests, talk to folks about the realities of being a Black person in this country. And especially if you're, say, a woman and Black or queer and Black like me, there's a lot that a lot of folks don't understand. And it turns out a lot of folks don't seem to care too much about. And some who are outright bigoted and see people like me and you as lesser mm. due to some stereotypes they heard growing up, but never let go of. So with that, I went out and May of last year saw with my own eyes the response from Seattle PD to like the BLM protests in downtown Seattle. And that's what really got me wanting to go out and do something about it because it being became clear to me Washington has its fair share of racism too. Every con- every uh, state in this country has a problem. And this idea that Washington is this liberal, anti-racist paradise, it's not the case at all. So with that, I've gotten involved with the likes of artists and activism based in Marysville. I've gone to different protests in Seattle, Everett, Marysville, as I mentioned, where they did weekly protests on Saturdays for over 40 weeks, like close to a year. I got involved with protests in in other areas like Mukilteo, and I wanted to see what I can do. And with that, I've found myself organizing protests myself and meeting with uh, elected officials in Everett and elsewhere. Well, that's the stuff I really want to talk to you about too, uh, Shola, because as you're just describing this, the history is very clear. Uh, I think so many of us who do this work, there's something that happens to us that fuels us to step forward in a real leading way. And I think that that's what is one of the major qualities of any equity change maker is that you've had to say, I can't wait for somebody else to do this stuff, to lead it, to start organizing protests. Not only am I going to be a part of it, but now I'm going to take it into this realm. So I just wanted to dive in a little bit there because how are some of the ways that you've done that? You said you were meeting with elected officials. Um, I know that, you know, you've been working with other groups. How have you been able to find good partnerships and find a good footing for the equity work that you're doing up north? 
I would say one of the things I've been so focused on is like solidarity and intersectionality. The idea that a number of different groups, whether it's BIPOC, so Black, Indigenous, people of color, and LGBTQIA+, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, and other terms like two-spirit and such, and neurodivergent folks, ADHD, which I have, autism, dyslexia, and so on. We all deal with different forms of oppression, and it gets further complicated when you fit, like me, in more than one category. So, for example, Black women who dealt with white feminists back in the day, and even in recent memory, pushing them aside, or queer folks and Black communities being pushed aside by cisgender straight folks. Things that could help us all is to recognize we get oppressed in different ways and not only talk about racism, but also talk about homophobia, transphobia, ableism, and xenophobia, which also is related to racism, but it's more about people who are in a different country than you. Where, for example, with me, I'm Black, so I deal with racism, but as someone who's a, a child of two immigrants, I also deal with xenophobia because people see me as an outsider because my parents weren't born and raised here. The thing I like to do is to, to encourage folks to explore how we get oppressed in different ways and how there are things that we could all relate to in that, which is very different from the all lies matter response in which it's a way of erasing people's experiences and trying to silence them. My approach is acknowledging what has happened to people of different groups and seeing how we can help each other, which is very different from, again, the all eyes from our response that has been especially common among opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement, if that makes sense. Uh, it makes perfect total sense. And I think that's why I, I just I'm so glad to have you on, because as you talk about the intersectionality, it is reminiscent to me of so many different uh, convoluted struggles that we face. And sometimes, you know, there there may be one that takes, uh, you know, precedence in our lives. But, you know, like if if you're walking down the street what someone may see is a black male, right? They may not know if you identify as queer or they may not know that you're Nigerian. They may not know some of the other things, but there's this ever presence that we cannot escape as black people. And that is our skin color, right? And no matter, no matter how uh, rich we may be or whatever would seem acceptable to, to folks, the first thing that folks are going to see uh, with anybody who's black is that they're black. And I think that one of the things I've really enjoyed about working in equity myself is understanding that when I talk about equity, I'm talking about it for all Black people, right? If you look like me, it does not matter how you identify yourself. It does not matter what other things are coming uh, at you or what society is throwing at you. There is an inherent family that is connected to that because we are experiencing something that is not experienced by those who do not look like us. And yes, we represent the global majority. And so the ideas around 
what they've done in this country with regard to race, I think is synonymous with the work of equity. So I love that you highlight how you are dealing with the intersectionality of all of this, because it's honestly so engaging for me. And it takes real courage for you to step out and say, you know, I'm going to be leading in these spaces because I do experience it on a multi-layered, in a, in a multi-layered way that is so unique. And, and I know that, you know, there's people that really respect how you've stepped out um, and, and said, I, I got to do this work. You know, you're a younger person, right? And so you're like, look, yeah, you're, you're fueled with a generation that is just over it. I want you to be able to speak a bit to some of the folks you work with, because I think there's really something to be said about the next generation that's picking up these torches and that are like, you know what, we're going to actually be a part of creating the world we want to see. Right. And it's so inspiring to me. How has that been for you as you've been making connections in this work? Oh, man, it's been very, it's been very interesting being able to connect with folks for the past, well, year and a half, I would say. One of the things I've been doing lately, especially, is just been, is been focusing on Snohomish County. Mm-hmm. And one of the thing, also another thing is I often am, as you mentioned, I'm usually often the, one of the youngest people around when it comes to <laughs> the activism spaces. All the, the three main guys, uh, D, Chris, and Jordan of Artists in Activism, based primarily in Marysville, the ones who did the rooftop protests in Marysville for a long time, like for over 40 weeks, they're older than me. I think the, uh, the youngest may be 40s, if that. Mm. And when it comes to uh, the, like, even cast. Uh, Castilla Hightower, I believe, is older than me and a, and a mom. And like you said, I'm often the youngest person. And so I feel like I, to some degree, embody like the fed up youth. That's <laughs> like, I heard my parents' stories. I heard my grandparents' stories. And I am going to rock this boat so hard and go to rock it as much as I need to in order to make real change happen. No more performative protests. Like, no more just, oh, we just do a protest or a rally, and then that's it. No more, oh, we're going to explore and have that conversation, and we just have a few talks, and that's that. I want to see real change happen. So I would say, yeah, how I connect is just be able to say, hey, look, I'm ready to address those issues, those conversations we've all been having, and I'm willing to talk to whoever, whether it's like today, the mayor of Marysville, whether it's the mayor of Everett, who I've had a number of conversations with, or heck, if I were to go out and I had the opportunity to talk to the governor of Washington, I'd be ready for it. If JNZ wants to talk to me, I'm up for it. I want to do whatever it takes to make change happen. So that's where I'm at. You know, I just appreciate your energy. I promise you, you know, because honestly, Shola, it is so necessary right now. It's like you have been born and bred for this specific time. And I'm sure you have felt that over over this year and a half of, you know, there's a calling on you to step up and to really then lead other folks, other whether they're older or younger or your age or whatever, to see you in the position is, I think, inspiring for other people to say, wait a minute, if Shola's doing this, like, how do I get engaged? How do I get involved? 
And, you know, one of the things that we talk about is the necessity for this to be an intergenerational progress, right? This needs to be an intergenerational movement. So we need young folks. We need the elders that are saying, yeah, the ways that we did it didn't work, right? And we want to be able to bolster now with this new energy is bringing to a, a movement that's really been at the heart of America's struggle, right? This is, this is you know, centuries old when we're talking about um, the oppression, particularly racial oppression, right? Um, you know, really at the inception of this country coming over here and ripping the land from the natives and killing them in mass numbers, right? To where they're, they're now such a small percentage of our nation. It's the atrocities, honestly, for me, that are another fueling factor to uh, my equity work. And so I, I want to hear a little bit about how uh, Snohomish County is receiving all of the energy that that you and others up there uh, in Snohomish County are bringing to this movement. How has it been? Um, you mentioned talking to mayors, uh, you know, working with other organizations, but what do you feel like the actual response in terms of receiving this energy has been in Snohomish County? I would say it depends on which group you're set, uh, talking about. With some, there's certainly been opposition. Last year, I do remember huh, me and my friend Gus, we organized a counter-protest against uh, Everett Back the Blue rally in Everett at the Snohomish County campus where they do their government work and such. And we wanted to make it clear that there's an opposition to that message that they're sending, which is clearly in opposition to the BLM, and that I know that the so-called Black Back the Blue movement is a racial, honestly fascist opposition to the Black Lives Matter movement. I've seen how the opposition is so similar to the opposition in the of the civil rights movement of the 60s. The Red Scare uh, tactics, this idea pushed that we're all just troublemakers and looters and such. The idea that, heck, even some even trying to say that we want to divide America, we want to cause division amongst the people, when honestly, America has been dividing based on race from the beginning and it still is. Yeah, we, we organize and we want to make a point there. And from that, we were able to make all sorts of connections when we had that counter-protest. And from there, I met with uh, the clinic defense folks who stand against the uh, anti-abortion, I would say, protesters there, or however you want to refer to the pro-lifers. And I talked to them about the intersectionality of uh, reproductive care, reproductive justice, and the BLM movement, given that Black mothers die like roughly three to four times the rate of white mothers, according to the CDC. So it's important the work to try and keep uh, reproductive care accessible to all, especially people of color, to women of color, to queer folks of color, to non-binary folks of color. And in addition, I've also talked with a friend of mine who's a lawyer who's civil rights is kind of his thing. And he's aware of how the police has have been used both as essentially they started as slave patrol and they also essentially were just strike breakers. There have been many times, even including in Everett, of police being used to 
shut down attempts for folks who work for different like companies to have their rights, like uh, people in unions trying to ask for better wages or safety at the workplace, accountability, and the police were used against them too. So I've been able to connect with a lot of white blue collar folks on those matters because they're like, we know about some of us and some of our um, people, our families or our ancestors got brutalized by police over trying to fight for better workers for workers' rights. So there's that too. I've been able to connect based on, again, the intersectionality of how these issues relate, whether it's reproductive justice or workers' rights or even feminist and feminist movements as well here as well, which often kind of overlap with the clinic defense as well. And, and so, yeah, I, you know, it's good to know that this work is being done all throughout Washington. And I'm excited because you're really representing an area that does not have much diversity, right? Uh, particularly uh, Black people, right? Living up in Snohomish County. And we've been able to cover some things um, throughout media efforts, a lot of community media efforts that have kind of showcased how alive and well uh, racism is in our state, in King County and also Snohomish County uh, and Pierce County as well. I mean, those are kind of the the main three, but I know if we went over to Tri-Cities, if we understood it from Yakima, Spokane, there's a real unique stories that each one of these areas can tell. And Snohomish County is no different. Right. I mean, we're talking about Everett being the place where it was one of the first uh, not lynchings, but murders um, of a prominent black man that now has, uh, you know, Edwin T. Pratt has his park in the Central District. And so you know, understanding that like a, it was almost like a white angry mob, kind of like what you were talking about with Lovecraft Country. Amazing show, by the way. Right. But I agree with you that there are things that we're seeing now that are just so reminiscent of the past. And when you think about it, us being able to say we're in the year 2021 and this is where we are, I mean, just thinking about what, you know, how, how the country was just treating the Haitians who were, you know, just trying to find solace. Right. Right. I mean, these are the things when I see things like that, I go, yep. And this is exactly why the work is so important. What are some of those things outside of your personal experiences that fuel you? If there are stories you carry with you or things that you, like you said, you may have seen during the protest movement, you saw how SPD was responding to people that were just getting out there to utilize their voices um, in a free speech way. And so much of the protesting was peaceful, right? It wasn't all about looting and, you know, trashing up the city. Yes, there were folks that were doing that, but that was not the essence of the protest movement. What are some of those things that you've actually experienced and witnessed um, that keep you going in this work, Shola? Yeah. So yeah, the previously mentioned, yeah, the May 30th protests in particular, in which I saw for myself, SPZ being brutal to protesters, that definitely fueled me because I, like you said, it was a peaceful protest, that particular one too. And to see SPD, just the tear gas, the pepper spraying, the flashbangs, I was like, 
I thought we were better than this. I knew we had problems, but this in Seattle, I can't stand for this. So I got to do something about this. And that was what was going through my head when that happened. Well, was there at that protest in downtown Seattle? So at first I was afraid, but then I just was in this tranquil fury where I was just angry, but the anger just overcame the fear for me. And I just was like, I got to do something about this. And since then, of course, organizing the protests. And then when I that previously mentioned um, counter protests against the back, the blue rally, I saw folks getting assaulted by the crowd that backed the blue crowd too. And one of the people at that protest even pulled a gun at some of the counter protesters I was with. And so them, it's, it's haunted them to this day. So these, these are just two examples since the um, summer of 2020. And those are two that really stick to me. And also in Seattle, there were two white allies who got hit by a car by someone who was apparently in opposition of the protest. And one of them got killed. The other survived, but was badly injured. Yeah. The one who survived Diaz love, I believe was their name. They're both, they were both non-binary. Yeah. The one who survived, it took them months to get to where they were kind of healed up. And when I just see the violence that goes that the protesters face in the Puget Sound region, not even like another state in the Puget Sound region, that's what drives me because I realize they're willing. A lot of folks are willing to be violent to stop the opposition to us fighting for our rights. They'll say it's about supporting the police as they are brutalizing us. They'll try and shut down conversations about us fearing about going and say stuff like which has happened to me before they would say stuff like oh you need to see a therapist or oh the police are here to protect you what crackhead are you gonna rely on a crackhead to protect you if you're getting robbed and they would say all these terrible things showing no empathy no understanding or care to understand about where we're coming from and i'm like no i've had enough i have to stand up and talk to elected officials. I need to talk to people in the community who have power, people in the community who just want to do something and be like, hey, do you want to come together and let's see what we can do? Bring attention to, say, a racist incident, talk to an elected official about what they're trying to do to make change happen. And not just a conversation, but actual change. I'm talking like legislation, actually reevaluating policies and such. And also, um, talking to those who are trying to run for office, see who actually wants to go and make a change in their own way in whatever position they're running for, such as Han Tran trying to run for Bothell City Council. There's um, Mary Fossey, who's a lady running for my district in Everett for council. It's And a bunch of others who are trying to do what they can. Oh, and also Josh uh, Binda, who's trying to run for Lidwood City Council. And he would be like, I think he may possibly be the first black person if he wins. And he's only like 21, if I recall. 
He's 21. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to yeah. ask you about Josh Benda because he, you know, when I, when I think about you and Josh Benda, right. I think, mm-hmm. man, that's what I'm talking about. You know, our, our younger folks are getting engaged and not just engaged on the fringes, but they are leading. They are taking mm-hmm. up the mantle, picking up the mm-hmm. torch to say, we're going to lead in this space. We're going to show you how it's done. Right. And something you said earlier about your, the, the, the approach of no more performativism, right? No, we're mm-hmm. in this. We're going to see the change. We're going to be the change. We're going to infuse it no matter what. And we're going to make sure that you understand we're not playing no games with the change, right? All Absolutely. of that is so key to this. And when I heard you say that, I thought that's exactly what we need right now is the intensity behind the action, right? It has to be that, you know what, I'm uncomfortable with this and I'm not going to, you know, hide my uncomfortability with this anymore or any longer, right? And so I love that you mentioned um, Josh Benda. I think when I was just hearing you speak, you know, the things that are fueling all of us, there's so much similarity in them. And this work takes a real specific kind of, I think, lens. And and I love to think about it as an equity lens. And you talked a bit about it when you were talking about the intersectionality. But what are some of the ways that you infuse equity and maybe use equity as a real basis for the work that you're doing uh, now? The ways that you're building relationships in community and the ways that you're taking up this mantle, picking up that torch and saying, I'm going to step in in the middle of this. I'm going to lead with a, a, a lens that really is going to be providing equity for all of the people and all of the ways that I check off some of these boxes of intersectionality, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. As you described it, how do you see, you know, equity being a main driver of that work? I think it's pretty um, straightforward for Everett specifically because Everett is known amongst many people outside of it to be a place where a lot of folks who are struggling with drug addiction and folks struggling with homelessness, where it's very common to see both here in this city. It's even been nicknamed Tweakerville before for that reason, which is very problematic for a number of reasons, which I'll get into a bit. But yeah, I would say for equity, it's like the cost of living, even in Everett, is increasing. With Seattle, it's just been out of control for a while, but it's been coming a problem in Everett too. A town that for years has already been known for having a lot of folks who are homeless. And one of the things I've stressed, especially with activism spaces and amongst elected officials when I talk with them, is what I tell them, it's important to remember that the homelessness issue is an issue of the homeless people themselves. It's the system we're in. It's hard to even get a studio, let alone a house. For many people these days, getting a house, buying a house is just doesn't seem to be a reality for anyone, for many of them, because it's just way too costly these days and wages aren't keeping up. And an ongoing thing that people have been talking about is how there's a labor shortage or a worker shortage, where it's like, no, wages have been stagnant while the cost of living has just kept increasing, increasing. Same with the cost of going to school. And people are like, what's the point? And it's been a problem for a while. And that was before the pandemic, the the problems I'm mentioning. And those things have just been made worse with people all of a sudden 
like especially last year, losing their jobs or having reduced hours, or they have a loved one who's sick with COVID, or they themselves are sick with COVID. So many have died. And so those issues were already there, but COVID, the coronavirus, the pandemic has just made it worse. Some things directly, some things indirectly. And I feel as a country, we just, we've just fallen short of responding proper to it. And I think even setting aside the fact that Trump totally screwed up last year and yeah, shortly before he left, we're still in this situation where it's clear we don't really have a clear plan with handling something like a pandemic and helping the most vulnerable among us. How is it fair for a person who was working full-time at, say, a restaurant, all of a sudden is worried about getting infected because a pandemic happened? How is that fair to them? Or the folks who are homeless who all of a sudden have less access to shelters or places to shower because the pandemic has a lot of places closing. The libraries were closed for months, like I think maybe even close to a year. And a lot of them rely on it for, say, finding resources or job hunting and so on. Or even just having a roof over their heads for at least the opening time of, times of the library. And so I think with equity, I think COVID has made clear the inequity and has kind of made the problem even more severe, the pandemic, the lockdown, and so on. And it's really disappointing that even now people are trying to make it about a worker shortage or a labor shortage when people just, what's the point of going back to the minimum wage job and not being able to even cover the rent that I'm already way behind as is, not to mention dealing with the ongoing pandemic and doing the dangers of whatever job you're working at. And it also makes it all the more interesting that last year we were saying we should support our healthcare heroes, support our essential workers, but now all of a sudden we're lazy or exploit unemployment. It's kind of interesting how last year there was praise for those who were forced to work because they were forced to. They weren't heroes. They were forced to. Otherwise, they weren't going to be able to provide for themselves. But now they're lazy. Now they're trying to exploit the government. It's kind of interesting how the messages out there have been changing. And now they want to force people back to work, even though the pandemic is still ongoing and even though wages haven't kept up with the cost of living. So that's something that I've been focused. Those are the things I've been focusing on. Well, those are those are equity lens uh, actions for sure, Shola. And mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate how you tied it to uh, these narratives that are out there, because I think that that's so key. When, when you think about why people believed in the American dream, it was propagandic messaging. Right. And yes, it, was it was that it was infused everywhere. You could you, you know, they would spotlight folks who came here, tied themselves up by their bootstraps and, you know, came with three dollars in their pocket, you know what I mean? And, and work their way up to become CEO of some Fortune 500 company or to, to launch their business or brand that now is global. I mean, you, we, we would hear this stuff all the time and it's not, not taking no credit from those stories because they do exist. And sometimes yeah. the opportunities for them uh, are there. However, um, the idea is that that was just going to be everybody's lived experience has been 
completely debunked because we understand now that, hey, there's windows of opportunity that are open for some that just really aren't as open for all, right? And so it's not, even if you have people that are coming over here and they have their, they're maybe in refugee status and they make it, we, we understand now that there's parameters for that and that, you know, ultimately we have to do a lot of work to get it to a place where that's a reality for everyone, right? And for, right. for those that are really looking to, to have that as part of their life. For me, I think what you're talking about is so key because oftentimes the work gets wrapped up into these narratives that are controlled by major media outlets and you realize what stories are getting picked up, which headlines get on the front new, you know, front page of newspapers. All of that mm-hmm. is very specific and is intentional. And yes. the ideas that it's by happenstance is just not true. So I appreciate that you made that just a position between, you know, how it was about supporting essential workers at first. And now it's about, hey, you know, we have this worker shortage. I think there's so much more to dive into there because people need to understand that there is a wide variety of ranges of why people are not trying to get back into those specific jobs. And Mm -hmm. a major part of that is safety and security. And you said the pandemic is still going on. And yet, this message out there of people being lazy, not wanting to, to, to get up and do work. Man, people are still dealing with the effects of the pandemic. You have yes. people who have lost loved ones, neighbors, family members. Mm-hmm. I mean, you name it. This is not something that really has a precedence in this generation. So it there doesn't. needs to be room for grace. And yet, Ashola, I just got to ask you, I'm not seeing any room for grace here. And Honestly, that is another driving factor around the need for change. When you think about all the the things that that make you do this work and some of the people that you're working with, the amazing folks that work with you and alongside you that you've been able to make uh, connections with, as you guys have your discussions, what are some of the themes that you feel really dominate that discourse for you all? Just as you were talking about right now, we're still in a pandemic. We're still dealing with inequities. There, There are still so many things that are built into these antiquated systems that need to be uprooted. Uh, they just have to change. How, how are you guys talking about that in your peer groups? Me and my friends and my allies and such have been discussing is how a lot of times late, it's been a thing for years, but it's especially apparent with the COVID-19 pandemic that a lot of times in this country retreat obvious disregard or lack of understanding with a given topic as a political difference of opinion, like a difference in political opinion. People would have a idea about how things are that's flies in the, that's totally against the evidence that we've gathered regarding that topic. And it's just treated as a difference of opinion. Well, for example, with the lockdown, people would debate, Oh, we should have our freedom and such. Even though all the scientists, uh, doctors, nurses, other healthcare workers, uh, public health experts, there are people there are people who know a thing or two about like health, public health specifically. They're saying we're in a pandemic. This is a real threat. 
ending the lockdown would be a very bad idea. And they deal with threats, death threats even. Not just uh, the likes of Dr. Fauci, who is kind of like the top expert in the country when it comes to things like uh, viruses and pandemics and stuff like that. But other uh, public health workers in this country are fearing for their lives because there are some who are so convinced that they are a part of the problem, even though they're doing what they can to keep people safe. It relates to the whole controversy of critical race theory, where you have people who don't understand that technically it's a college university level thing, who then decide to extrapolate for some reason and say that kids shouldn't be learning about um, racism because it somehow divides people. We have it where it's people who think that just because they have an opinion that goes against, they think that their opinion is just as valid as those who know, who are educated for years, who know a thing or two, who know a lot about this matter. Like you have people who are saying that they know the best for their kids where they don't even know that using a, a ivermectin for a virus makes no sense from a health st- science standpoint. A worm isn't the same as a virus. So you have it where people just think that just because they have an opinion that goes against what experts have found, it's they think it's just as valid. So there are people who think that they should end the lockdown, that we could just disregard uh, COVID-19 as just the flu, even when actual experts are telling them no. They think that their opinion is valid. So we see the same thing with, say, critical race theory, where they think that their opinion that racism, like a systemic historical racism should be taught in schools, is just as valid as those who are historians who are like, people should know their history. I mean, wasn't there a quote about those who don't know their history are doomed to repeat it? And if you read up on how people have responded to the Spanish flu, you'll see a lot of similarities between how opposition to like basic measures like wearing masks and social distancing, how they opposed it. It's very similar to what we see now with COVID-19. And a hundred year difference, and a lot of people apparently didn't learn. So we're seeing the same way, thing with uh, critical race theory. We're seeing this the same thing with COVID-19, that overlap where it's like, the ignorance is accepted and normalizes just another opinion. And I think that's one of the big things that me and my friends and allies have been focused on. Yeah, I, I love that you said it like that, to be honest. I, I'm telling you, you're 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 on fire, Shola. And I just <laughs> thank I, you. Yeah, really, uh, because your perspective is so needed in this space. Uh, when I think about the breadth of equity work, our podcast here, obviously called Equity Rising, we love to focus on the fact that folks like yourself are out here really providing real solutions to what we have seen as inequities uh, for generations, really since the inception of this country. And I think it's really important that we shine a light on what it is that you're thinking of. Let's say everything that you're working toward is realized, right? That, you know, I'd love to ask, you know, because you're going to be in this for a while, right? You're a young person. Yes. You're like, look, I, yes. hey, you know, this I'm is, not going this, anywhere. Right. This is life work. But what are some of the things that are there as examples of your work working? 
right, of the equity that you're infusing into the systems that you are challenging and these politicians that you're challenging, right? Uh, mm-hmm. What does it look like for you for, for equity uh, to be realized? Well, for me, what it would look like is, for one thing, I would want, in regards to police, law enforcement in general, I would like for police to actually be held accountable. I would like for there to be an end of qualified immunity in all in all 50 states. Mm. I want it so where a cop has to answer properly if they shoot an unarmed black person. I want it to be where they don't, have the union protecting them from just the most egregious acts. And this message is sent that if a cop murders someone, then it's very likely they'll just be found not guilty and just move on with their life while the family is still dealing with their fam- their loss. And people like me seeing in the news being like, I'm afraid of going out at night because I could be next. Am I next? Could it be me if I were to just go out walking out? And that cop stops me and it just ends up being yeah, another statistic. Could I be that another statistic? So I want to enter that. I also want the police defunded and I want that money being put towards ways to help the community, like say better housing, better education, which I mentioned before about how the education system has fallen short of for many folks treatment for those who are struggling with addiction because addiction I see as a symptom of unresolved trauma or unresolved issues and better housing if I didn't mention already more of it because something like housing is a basic need that a lot of folks in Everett and beyond just don't have. There are a lot of folks out here who are homeless, living in their cars, relying on shelters. And how are you going to even reach anything like the American dream if you can't even have a roof over your head. You may hear a story or two about a homeless person making it, but usually there are very specific circumstances that make it work for them. For every one success story, there are hundreds, so many more that don't get that and die on the street in the winter or something. And I also want honest, open discussion regarding race and for folks like us, Black folks like us, to be at the table and be able to make decisions and speak about what works best for us, rather than having a bunch of white folks play savior and decide what's best for us. There have been many times where I see elected officials, even one person in Lidwood, a council member, had said something along the lines of that he wants to help all the people in Everett. And I really wanted to see them actually help all the people because this country has struggled with the definition of all, whether it's all men are created equal and even giving the benefit of the doubt and assuming they mean men as in all humans. Why were they saying that when people like me and you were in chains? Why is it that the people who say all lives matter, why are there so many who have threatened and have assaulted people like me and you and others who are just trying to fight for us too? So I want people in this country, I want those in power to actually put their money where their mouth is and show that they care for all, including the folks who have been treated badly by the likes of cops, racists, and so on. And in addition, I want to see 
all these different forms of oppression recognized and be addressed. So, like, for example, I previously mentioned, like, clinic defense about how I think everyone should get reproductive care. People should be able to have abortions or have a sex education and birth control and hormone replacement therapy if needed. Those should be things that people should all have. And we shouldn't have it where people who, based on their religious beliefs, say that they can make people live the way they think, that they shouldn't be able to get reproductive care, that sex education should be taught, that people shouldn't be able to have access to birth control. Because those are all issues that I've seen in the last 10, 15 years that I'm really passionate about as well, where we need people to have access to those things as well. And as mentioned before, it's usually people of color who have it worse when it comes to getting access to those things. So I want it to be where people can access their basic needs and for people to be able to get their issues addressed, where if they're being oppressed or if they're dealing with, say, racism, queerphobia, or so on and so forth, those issues are properly addressed in all these different fronts for us to actually take systemic or institutional racism seriously, as well as all queerphobia, misogyny, ableism, and so on. What a great, great vision indeed, Shola. And with with your energy and folks like you at the helm, I, I feel so uh, honored, uh, humbled and honored always to, to know that I'm working in spaces with people like yourself who are serious about this work and who really carry the mantle. I, I see it as like this badge of honor, right? Like we're all part of some amazing scouts club or something that, you know, we just by all necessary measures, you know, with love in our hearts are, you know, wanting to pour that love out to our communities and do it in a way that's going to be equitable for folks and really balance out these skills. And I love to see the multiracial, you know, these rainbow coalitions that form because it's it it has to be more than just black people at the helm of this to really Agreed. eradicate these issues and to really bring about the vision that you just put forward there. Um so so thankful that you're in this space. If if folks are, you know, wanting to, to tap in with what you have going on up there in Snohomish County, um, because I know you guys got a lot of things in the works. You guys have this mm-hmm amazing like website that you guys have been working oh, on yeah. uh and, and before i let you go i want you to talk to that because i think as as you open up the opportunity for folks to connect with you that may be a great way of doing it but what is that website you guys have working on up there oh yeah the website which short for Snohomish county culture activism and networking and it was something that we kind of had as a concept like very early this year and it was March where we actually tried to go for it. And it was primarily me and one other person who were kind of tech savvy enough to give it a shot with the actual building of it. Like trying to figure out how to uh, get a domain uh, using wiki software and so, so on and making pages and all that. And we also have a friend or two who are, will- who are willing to make like add art including the logo it was a friend of mine named ness who did the actual drawing of it it's basically it's the fist 
with the flags, two flags. And also one of the flags was the, is the progress flag, the pride flag variant that has the triangle that has like black and brown and the trans colors as well. And the reason why I wanted it to be like that, me and others wanted it to be like that is because it kind of, I feel embodies the whole solidarity idea, the rainbow coalition idea. You got the fist, which is commonly, which is associated obviously with the BLM movement. You have the flags, the flag, especially the um, progress flag, which acknowledges uh, queer folks and the progress flag obviously acknowledges trans folks and people of color like Marsha P. Johnson. And also the way the logo is, it indicates it's, it it was the logo resembles the uh, uh, anti-fascist action logo because we're, we're in opposition to fascism in this country. And so we had that logo to represent all that. And as for the wiki itself, we've had blogs posts in it. We've had um, different pages um, indicating different resources. And we also have a page showing all the different groups that we know of that we believe are doing good work, like the previously mentioned artists and activism, Change the Narrative run by, um, Change the Narrative Granite Falls specifically, run by Michael Adams, and a bunch of other groups. Um, Participatory Justice, which pushes, which is for those who want to support those who are dealing with the justice system, who are trying, who need support in going through like their cases and such. There's a Snohomish County Equity Alliance, which these days they primarily do mutual aid efforts in South Africa, and then 98204 zip code, which is the most racial, racially and ethnically diverse in the county. And we have like a whole bunch of other groups that are on that in that site and we our whole goal is to try and one let people know what's going on like what groups they can be involved with to help out and two know what community resources there are and have it all in one place for Snohomish County specifically and we noticed that a lot of times Snohomish County as a whole gets overshadowed by um, Seattle and King County so that was actually one of the main reasons why we made that site so instead of trying to find these stuff, like what's going on in the area, and then just saying, hell, there's, I know a person in Seattle, or I know this group in Seattle, it's like, can we find something that's happening in Everett or Snohomish County? And we're like, okay, a lot of us over the last year and a half have learned a lot about what groups are doing things. So we just have all in one place being the site. So that's one of the main reasons why we wanted to have that site, so that people could just have one in all one place to find out what's local here that they can be involved with, what help they can get here in Snohomish County. Well, it's a great effort. And uh, I'm so glad we we got that in before we let you go today, because, you know, honestly, it's it's being forward uh, thinking like that, that is going to bring about the actions necessary for us to realize and actualize equity. Shola, uh, you know, I'm beyond elated uh, at your energy and your passion towards equity. And I really appreciate you being authentically you and being transparent with me 
today and being vulnerable and open as you shared your story. Um, so if, if folks want to tap in, you know, there there may be some, some listeners up there in Snohomish County that weren't aware of some of the actions you guys have going on. Say that website one more time and then tell folks how they can find you. Uh, Snowco, as in short for Snohomish County, Snowco can. S-N-O-C-O-C-A-N.com. That's that's how you'd find it. And as to how to contact me, well, if you email the website, uh, the site has its own email. I'll see it. If you want to reach out to me, you could also go to the group that's kind of behind the site that I'm with, the Pink Umbrella Society. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Yeah, if you see me out there and with my rainbow bandana, don't be afraid to say hi. <laughs> That's right, Shola. Absolutely. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today so that we can really shine a light on some of the amazing equity efforts happening up there in Snohomish County. Man, keep up the work. I'm telling you, it, it is a beautiful mm-hmm. thing to hear your story, to hear how, you know, intersectionality plays into all of it and how you're able to really showcase and embody and exemplify what it looks like to be an equity change maker up there in Snohomish County. So glad to have you with us today here on Equity Rising and just appreciate your time and your energy, my friend. Great work. Thank you very much. And I do have some closing thoughts if you're... Yeah. One of the things I realized last year was that I'm aware of things that many other folks may not be. I struggle with, for much of my life, imposter syndrome. I felt like maybe I didn't have what it takes to make a difference or Maybe I needed to follow someone else, or maybe I just had to hope things would just change. And now I realize that I can make a difference and that if I don't do anything, then stuff that I could make a difference in, the work may not be done. I want people to know that they can be the spark that that can make change happen and wherever they're at, wherever their situation is, wherever city, town, or wherever place they're at. I want people to be willing to step forward and make a change and wherever they're at. Believe in themselves and try and do something to make the world better in their own way. Because I want them to know that, well, if I could do it, they can. It may not be the same as me. The things they do may be different from me. But I believe that everyone has that potential to be able to make a positive change happen and wherever they're at, and by extension, the world at large. Oh, yes. I love ending on that note. As I'm always saying to folks, man, see yourself as a part of the solution. You know, all of us, uh, we all have a role to play in bringing equity about in this world. And I'm so glad you ended on that because folks sometimes need to hear that kind of inspiring message. And maybe that's the spark they need to get up and do something, become a part of a movement, start one. Mm -hmm. You know, if, if there's a table you need to join, 
figure out how to join that table, figure out how to create your own tables. All of those things are important. Shola, again, I, you know, I'm, I'm impressed. I'm so impressed by you and your energy. And uh, we'll, we'll keep our relationship growing. You make sure we hear about any of the things going on so that King County Equity Now can continue to stay in relationship with you and all of the equity work that you're doing in Snohomish County. Much appreciated. Yeah, likewise. I would love that as well. I would love to keep the conversation going with y'all. And I know this won't be the last time we talk. So (laughs) thank you very much for this opportunity to have this conversation with you. Absolutely. It definitely won't be the last time. And as you guys heard it from Shola B, it is so important that you get up and you get engaged, get involved, find a way to, to make equity a part of your own pathway and a mantra that you carry with you on a daily basis. Uh, that's what it's going to take, y'all. It's going to take all of us. And I always say that, you know, equity needs to be infused in everything because it was inherently not built into anything. So it takes all of us to make this equity a reality. Thank you so much for listening to Equity Rising. <laughs>